Hi, welcome to BA Brew. I'm Jonathan. I'm Vicky. And I'm Debbie. Today we're going to talk about a topic that I think all three of us are really passionate about and it is business architecture and how it relates to strategy and change. But I'm going to start by asking Vicky, could you tell us a little bit about your role and how you got into this field of business architecture and strategy? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so at the moment, um, I, I work for a consultancy, uh, sort of the strategy lead, and and the with also a hundred and one caps to wear all at the same time, and one of which is is as a business architect. I came into this profession um, as a business analyst, where I met Demi years ago, um, where I was learning to do my I said diploma, and fundamentally, I always wondered. But why are we doing this stuff? It's all right. You want a tick box on a, you know, some requirements. We want to capture our mind data. But why? Where? Where is it going? What's it going to give you? What are we doing this for? What are you going to do differently if if you know that stuff? And how is that going to work, right? And I started to ask more and more questions as I, I grew up in the ladder of, of business analysis. And I started to then think, well, hang on. I want to be a strategic business analyst. I just don't want to be writing requirements for systems. I want to be looking at how, how these businesses work. Should it be doing this in the first place? What are the goals? Where are we going? Mm-hmm. And it, actually in a role, um, look, my first job in Leeds really, where I, I met a, a group of people that were wanting to create a virtual enterprise architecture function. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, what's this about then? And that's where they introduced me to to capabilities, to understanding, you know, this is the vision of the business. So we need to understand what we need to be able to do and then how we're going to do it. And I was like, now this, this is the thing that I've been after. And it was from that moment, I had a little bit of a eureka moment where I started to to develop that business architecture Mm -hmm. head and approach. And and my career then went on and on in this space where I then became head of BA practice and head of business architecture function and an enterprise architecture function. And now as sort of a a strategic leader in an organization and going in to help set strategic visions, aside for the NHS, as I just have to, I find that business architecture is is my go-to tool in my tool bag um, as a method of achieving that. Wow. Wow, and it's quite a progression that morning that learning about business analysis and asking that great question of so what? Why are we using these tools? So what? Where does it fit? And then yeah. progressing up the career ladder up to head of practice, head of business architecture, and head of enterprise architecture. Fantastic. Um so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was and, and partly for the audience uh, a little bit when we're talking about a business architecture toolkit or a business analysis toolkit there's mm-hmm. a lot of overlap could you help mm-hmm. clear up what the differences are what the differences even in toolkit or the role um vicky yeah yeah for sure and and again this is this is going to be something that debbie and i have spoken about a while ago is is the BA role's changing now. You know, some of some of the stuff that I'll go back into the olden days of, of your sort of thing when we were first putting <laughs> our teeth on all of this stuff. When we were when we were those business analysts and we were trying to understand, you know, what is it about this that we need to achieve here? Let's write some requirements and, and we'd really dig into them. But what do you mean by that? What's the definition of this? And what are the business rules around all of this stuff? A lot of that practice used to be done 
more par for the course. And, and I'm not going to get into the whole waterfall and, and agile argument here, but I, I, I do see that the role of the business analyst as the years have gone on has changed somewhat mm -hmm. from what that original BA skill set was that I learned in terms of writing, you know, doing my pestle, doing my most and my SWOT and, and understanding that strategy of, okay, if this organization wants to move and do stuff, then we need to understand all of these elements. And I never really came across many BAs that did that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the BAs time yeah. and that role got badged and, and you, you almost became more a requirements engineer and the requirements, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that at all, but very rarely did you get that opportunity to go, right, well, I actually, I want to try and show how this organization can grow and develop. What does it need to do differently? And, and where do we, we need to be going in order to achieve this vision and mission that we've stated that we've got that, but at the minute, who's looking at this stuff? I'm, I'm not really seeing any of that. And, and that's that thought of a strategic business analyst role didn't really seem to exist yep. for me. Um, and it was always, well, if you want to promote in your career, then as a BA, you need to be a project manager, which absolutely set all my heckles <laughs> on fire. Because <laughs> I am sorry. And I still think there is a lot of thought around that, right? Yeah. There's still that. Yeah, yeah there is. You, a job, you become a PM. I'm like, entirely different skill set, my friend. That is not me. I don't want to sit and look at a log and go, have you done what you said you'd do today? No. <laughs> Not me at all. I want to be having those conversations with people and going, right, well, you've said you want one of these. What for? Why? Why are you doing that? What benefits are going to give? And how does that align with where you want to go? And for me, looking at those toolkits and, you know, the tools, techniques, methods, if we if we go to that, your most, your pestles, your swats, your, your porters, five forces, all of those, Mackenzie, seven, those are the your nub of, as a business architect you'll mm. go to when you're trying to understand strategically then what do we want what is the environment we are operating in here as an organization mm. what is um <laughs> what is happening in the world that's going to stop us from doing that because the world's a much smaller place now than it used to be and and i think that cognizance and that wider look out into that environment you're working it's more imperative now than ever because because the world's so small and since yeah. lockdown, more and more people are working from home. All of this stuff's happening, right? And it's happening a lot faster and it's happening yeah. around the clock now as we outsource stuff. And, and and it changes the way that businesses are thinking about where they can grow and how they can grow because their competition's not just the shop next door anymore. It's, it's, it's the companies on the other side of the world. And you've got to be mindful. You've got to be more global now. You, you, mm. Your brain's got to think that bigger picture yeah. of, okay, how are we going to swim in this bigger pond? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to share, I'm really passionate about requirements and requirements engineering, but doing it in a way that's strategically aligned and, and doing it in a way that aligns with the capabilities, the, the VMOS, the vision, mission, objectives, yeah. tactics of the organization and, and i think there's a this should be a conversation and and the business analysts need to sometimes lead on that conversation sometimes it's others but they should be part of pushing forward that conversation but i want to ask debbie so you've kind of vicky said the words iseb which i haven't heard for a, i don't know a few years iseb the information systems examining board and and that's where i started as well vicky but, but debbie you've sort of seen this profession develop from business analysts that might have traditionally been focused only on their project and maybe only just the requirements engineering service to then seeing uh, professionals like Vicky take the toolkit 
and really move with it in terms of moving business analysis to that enterprise strategic focus and to business architecture and other roles. How I'm just interested, how does it feel to see the profession develop and to have been part of developing it, Debbie? Well, I think we've got to keep making sure it does develop because you're absolutely right. And there are people like Vicky and like yourself, Jonathan, really pushing and, and moving it forward. But there is another movement that is maybe putting it in a box. And I, I must admit, BA in a box is becoming a bit of a mantra for me because I really want us to not be in a box. So we have to know where the box is and we have to stop allowing us to be put in it. But I think the business architecture approach actually really has opened up a lot of opportunities for business analysts if we, mm. as BAs, can understand it and grasp them. Mm. So, for example, I was thinking, as you do, I was driving along earlier thinking about SWOT. And I thought, SWOT analysis, that's an interesting technique to think about when I'm driving. And then I was thinking, we talk about strengths and weaknesses. Mm. And actually, what business architecture did when it raised the profile of understanding capability mm. is it actually gave us a way of saying, you know, we can look at strengths and weaknesses at a strategic level, but we can also look at them at other levels. And if we look at it through a capability lens, that tells us as business analysts how we can work with the business architects to plug the gaps, to make sure those capabilities are actually holistically there and around it and actually can help the organization achieve its strategy. Mm. Now, that's where I think the BAs and the business architects and the service designers, I've always got like a Venn diagram in my head around this, but I actually think it all comes together. But the BAs have got to understand their toolkit and they've got to understand how it merges with the business architecture view. And it's brilliant to see people like Vicky, who I have known for many years, um, and to see her, you know, just take it out there and to see people actually saying, you know, that toolkit we've got, actually, if we take that strategic view and we really mm. start thinking strategically, look what we can do with it. Yeah. So, yes, it's brilliant, but it's not battle that's won. No, no. And one of the, one of, I think the toolkit, absolutely, Debbie, 100% agree. But one of the things I think is also a challenge, particularly for the business analysis community, um, and I'll share, I often meet people that tell me that's not my job, I'm not allowed to do that, I don't have permission. And one of the things that I think that we need to challenge is that self-limiting box that some professionals mm -hmm. are putting themselves in. And I think some people don't believe they've got the permission to think and apply tools such as the ones that we've just been mentioning without someone telling them to do it. They're being asked to write user stories and you can write user stories a great, great work, absolutely. How do you write a user story that's aligned to a strategic capability that enables the organization to develop capability over the long term? That's a really tough question, but you can do it if you want to. Absolutely, you can. And, and if I can come in on that, Jonathan, yeah. one of my biggest, my biggest one off <laughs> is, is, you know, I've trained a few people now in, in business analysis and, yeah. and and I thoroughly enjoy enjoy it. But but what I say to them is I'm going to teach you how to use a set of tools like um, a plumber will rock up yeah. with, you know, you know, you've got a leak in your kitchen. You ring a plumber. He comes up. He doesn't ask permission if he can use his spanner. He doesn't ask permission if he can use his screwdriver. He's mm. got his toolkit. 
and he knows what he needs to do and use in order to do that. Mm. The business analyst is no different. Your VMOST, your use case diagrams, your class diagrams, ERDs, whatever methodology you're working in, that is an enormous toolkit. When somebody says they want to be A, you do not need permission to ask to use one of these models and diagrams to help and enhance your thinking. These models, diagrams, and methods that we use, they aren't an output and a deliverable in their own right. They're a thing that makes you think, question, challenge. Okay, so I've written this as a set of requirements. I've written this. Hang on, if I do that, well, then I've missed this bit. I missed that. Oh, okay, so I need to go back and recheck. They are to make you think about what you are writing. They mm. are there to make you think about what you're requesting. How is that then going to deliver what you think it wants, it needs to, in order to achieve that goal? Business architecture is no different. Business architecture isn't a thing in its own right that you do just because you love drawing little blue, you know, little yellow boxes and writing the right lines between them. It's there to help you. It's a tool to help you design a strategy. It's a tool that's there to help you understand how is this organization going to deliver what it wants to. And back to your point, Debbie, you can, once you've got your capabilities and that business architecture layer understood, you can understand how your services are being operate or operating Absolutely. and functioning and delivering. And actually, if that service isn't delivering and it's costing a fortune and we're not getting anything from it, you can see very easily and quickly what you can turn off, what can go away. Or if something's working really well, the Uber moment, as I call it, <laughs> you know, they have the capability to move stuff from A to B. Right, they said, so let's not just move people, let's move pizzas, let's move this, mm -hmm. let's move that. It's the same capability that they've exploited. They've mm -hmm. built one capability really well. And that's what organizations need to start and think about. And that's where business architects and business analysts, you know, whenever I've had any BAs work for me and they've gone, oh, can I use, I said, I don't want you to ask me what you can use. I, yeah. I want a set of requirements that are validated and are owned and are, and are correct. How you get there, how you use the mm. tools, we all have our favorites, right? I will forever be a use case girl, always. And I know that people fall out of favor with that. I, I get that, but for me, I can't think straight if I haven't done it. And that's how I like to work. I can then write you as many user stories as you like off the back of it, but I will always be questioning if I've checked every gap because yeah. that tool works for my mindset. Yeah. And that's what BAs need to realize, be they a business analyst or a business architect, actually. The tools that you use are there to help you make sure yeah. you do a good job. Yeah. You, I, It really boils my blood when business analysts say, yeah, did me? I said, yeah, I got my diploma, but they don't do business analysis like that here. I'm not allowed to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> they ask you to write requirements, mate. Go use them. <laughs> you know, it, it's not a product that you're, 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 nobody will ever ask you to write a use case. Of course they won't, unless you're me, of course. <laughs> or a class Only. diagram. But, but these are things, professional, that's what you need to be able to do. Yeah. Back to the plumber. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really interesting because I'm a use case fangirl as well, as I think you might know, Vicky, but I am. Um, but it, it is interesting because when I think about requirements, and, and I was talking to some great people recently and we were talking about requirements, but we weren't talking about requirements for software. We were talking about requirements for a wind farm and things like that. Or I know, you know, somebody else who was looking at requirements for a building and and yet there is this thing that, you know, requirements are this very, very small thing when actually whatever we do, there are requirements everywhere. Mm. And if if you're going to leverage your capability, 
you've got to understand if the capability is there or it needs augmentation. And if it needs extension and augmentation, then there are requirements around how you do that. But it's interesting because as you were talking, there are two words, and I know they're two words that Jonathan (laughs) likes as well, and they are leverage of your Mm -hmm. capabilities and achieving your strategic and business outcomes. And essentially... That's why professions like ours exist. And as soon as we lose sight on that, then we are putting ourselves in a box. Mm -hmm. Then we start focusing on asking permission for things or just on a very narrow area that is around, I don't know, fixing a bit of a process or looking at a product improvement or something. But we stopped looking business outcomes and strategy and how we leave capability to and, and I like the use of the word exploit Vicky because and exploit that capability yeah because as you said organizations now we're competing with everybody around the world mm-hmm. and we have to be cognizant of that and we have to use every tool in the armory and yeah. pulling together yeah. business analysis business architecture and service design that's an incredible armory mm-hmm. if an organization cares to use it yeah um, Absolutely. I really like the analogy of the plumber, Vicky, and I often mm. use the analogy of a master carpenter. And oh, it's the same thing. Oh, okay. You're building the staircase or the window, door frame, whatever it might be, but no one tells the carpenter what tools to use. And I, I do believe that we should think about that as both business analysts, business architects, and service designers. And if we've got, if there's someone out there, and it, it, it is rare, but someone understands all three toolkits and has that outcome focus, so they're outcome focused for the organization, aligned with strategy, the plan for success in the organization, and they're focused on customer, user, actor needs, then you've got a potential sweet spot. And this is for me why the use case is so useful, because it shows you your actors of either your business or your IT system, and it shows you what cases of use those actors are going to interact with and in that association the line between the actor and the use case you've got the non-functional requirements and this for me is without that picture i don't know if i've covered the scope i don't know if i've covered the key things that the business needs to be able to do and i might have missed either an internal or an external stakeholder and if you dive straight into the user stories and i can do that but I might miss something. I might miss something in the big picture. And one of the things that I think is really important for us to have in mind is that the world is very complex and interconnected and mm-hmm. we need to take a systemic view. And this is where service design really comes in, the systemic view mm-hmm. of business situation services. Um, I, was, uh, I was flying with a national airline carrier just this week and they offered... Um, for food and drink in there on their online service and for the last three times i've flown with this national carrier it's not been available because their payment systems don't work so it's their interconnection oh, with the payment system they can't sell you a cup of coffee or a, a can of a can of lemonade because their payment system doesn't work the last three out of four flights with that national aircraft carrier their payment systems have been down and it's kind of that's not that's not some kind of abstract techie requirement thing that's a real business issue associated with requirements, service delivery, architecture, mm-hmm. and a lack of focus on outcomes is my view. And it's not, that's that's not just a one-off. That's that's three out of four times I've flown with them and they're, they're wow. they can't take a payment. So they won't sell you a cup of tea. It's ridiculous. 
I mean, I'm I'm fundamentally impressed you're ordering coffee on an aeroplane and not something else, right? Because it, well, I, I wouldn't be. <laughs> that's another conversation altogether. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, and it's it is this need to understand is is okay. And and people always say, yeah, but business architecture is really hard. Where do you start? How do you even know where to go, right? And and that's the, that's the challenge. And and one of the things, and again, back Debbie, you and I spoke about it. It's architecture is all these different domains going on in it right and people seem to think you have to be one or the other and and but but let's learn from what other other domain architectures are doing really well so for me i kind of took and i probably have, have, have used service orientated architecture to help me know where to start so looking at the ittle and the tech stuff and what i mean it's like yeah okay i want to be a little bit different to that what business services do we deliver mm -hmm. let's get that business service catalog developed what is that a business line is it a, a blend of services that then becomes a business line and understanding that understanding how services support each other and then say what is business architecturally there to deliver this mm -hmm. what do we need in terms of capabilities what do those processes business objects mm -hmm. And the other part that you've mentioned, you did mention non-funks, but for me, the constraints around this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And the business rules within which we operate, mm -hmm. because yeah. the world is getting more tricky. It's getting yeah. more legal with everybody getting sued left, right and centre for misuse of X, Y and Z. Rightly so when it comes to data, don't get me wrong, but we need to be mindful of all of that. So where you want to start, where do we start? Back to your point, what service are we offering? What do we absolutely need to make sure we have got the capability to provide in order for that service to be a quality service? And where it isn't, in your case, you're not getting it in the lemonade or your glass of wine. I was driving on the other side, Vicky. I had to pick up my car. I was ah, you're very good. You're very good. But, um, in, in those situations, it's a, so what? So we can't expect to demand the same from our customers if we aren't providing the same so then we need the capability to to recompense or to react to that yeah. and people don't always think about that in your service definition what if they are not giving what you promised mm. what capabilities do you need in order to do that it's all right saying it's all well and good in the world but quite often you will get that area where it breaks and falls down and you need to design that capability yeah. for dealing with that yeah and you're making me think about value proposition now Vicky. as you did what's the value promise the value proposal from the organization the service provider yeah. and quite often the value proposal isn't being delivered against the customer's expectations uh, there's an example i shared with debbie just this week to do with a ran operator and um there was someone on linkedin they talked about how they felt like they were not being listened to uh as though you know the trains being late overpriced and unreliable and then the way they treat as a customer it's the value proposition very different to what that organization would say on its website and it's mm -hmm. are we meeting the value proposition are we providing these positive customer actor user experiences or are we just happy with kind of mediocre variable services that have got very poor or low quality i mean it's it's really frustrating to see uh, when we see these kind of failures. Um, Debbie, any thoughts on on that particular aspect? I think that's another interesting aspect because um, I think the other part of capability and architecture and service to customers is that customers develop their expectations mm -hmm. further. And Jonathan and I quite often talk about the Kano model mm -hmm. and how you know something that is a delighter requirement. 
from a product or a service one day becomes absolutely expected and expected to be standard, you know, a year or so later. And so value propositions have to evolve. And so capabilities have to evolve and evolve. And that comes back to then this idea of leveraging and exploiting capabilities, but it's also having a mindset that looks out where we might need new or extended capabilities because we can improve our service. So there's a transformational aspect to it as well, I think. And strategy is over the longer term, as we know, but actually strategies have also can evolve and we can really help support that evolution if we're prepared to look at things this way. So that's another aspect, I think. Absolutely so, and, and we need to understand what those events are going to be that are going to trigger us to need to look at our strategy. Yeah. And it's, it's certainly something I'm looking at at the moment as I'm trying to help an organisation develop a strategy and, and the domain strategy. It's like, what, what trigger? We need to understand what the triggers are going to be. What's the business event that will happen that means that you have to have a look at your strategy, have a look at your services, and respond in mm. a way yeah. or another. So yeah. that business event, both at the start and at the end of it, you know, it might be that we've been super duper successful. So now we need to ramp up or mm. it, um, we need some more people or what it might be that actually we've achieved this strategy two years early. Yeah. We need to have another look. What else are we going to do? Vicky, I've got a question for you. And I know we talked about this in the pre-prod before we start recording. What would you say to someone that says architecture? Are you one of those techie infrastructure folk then? <laughs> yeah yeah um and this this, this um thank you <laughs> such paper lit absolutely so. so so what gets me is enterprise architecture has been around for a while right yet somehow somehow technology architecture is the only thing that people think is a thing it's a yeah we, it's really important we understand our technology it's really important we understand how system a connects to system b and transfers the data and where it's hosted and i'm like i get that but is it not more important that you understand why you've got that in the first place <laughs> is it not more important that as you're looking at your organization of what you need to do that bit if you don't have the yellow layer, as I call it in the Archimate language, if you don't have that business architecture understanding of what you're here for, why you're here, who you need to do this stuff, that set of technology that you've got in the corner, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to deliver any services. It's not going to create you any benefit. In fact, it's just going to cost you a shed load of money and be a detrimental impact. You need and and it I might be on the cloud, Vicky. It might be on the cloud, and then we've met our cloud strategy. Oh, it's all right then, isn't it? Great. <laughs> I, think was, I think I think in all honesty. When people consider enterprise architecture, how business architecture is, and, it, and unfortunately it is the poor relation in this area. And I don't know why, because I, um, and you go into companies like we worked in some big banks, I've worked in some really large organizations and their technology architecture is really well understood and defined. Yet they don't know which processes that serve it. They've got no clue whatsoever that if they turn that technology off, what's broken? What yep. can't we deliver anymore? Because they don't understand that need. And I think it's slowly catching on. Um, and I all, you know, I, if I am, my role is enterprise architect, and they're all like, oh, right then. So can you tell us, should we be using AWS? And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I am not a technical architect. Yeah. I am an enterprise architect and I've had to expand out from being just a BA, just a business architect. 
because the value of it wasn't understood. It wasn't realized that if you want to deliver your strategy, if you want to deliver your target operating model, if you want to respond and expand your business or acquire another or divert, you know, divest, mm -hmm. the first place you start is with your business architecture. You need to understand what do I need to be able to do? If I'm buying you, company B, what do we already do that's the same? So I, we can yeah. start and turn those bits off. Not from a technology perspective. If I look at it from a processes and the services and the people and all that understanding, the rest of it should follow. Yeah, I should be fine. able to pull that string a little bit like a child. I always think of it like a child's mobile. I should be able to pull that string and understand everything that dangles from it and where I can snip that cord so that I can say, I don't need that anymore. And if I want to add new parts on, I need to know what to tie them to at the top. No point having a load of, you know, bits on the floor. It, it needs to be attached to that strategic business layer because your technical architecture, your data architecture is only there to deliver your business objectives, not the other way around. I call that tail wagging dog and that really worries me. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm sorry, a bit passionate on that one. <laughs> I, I feel bad because I lit the touch paper there with that question, but I don't feel bad as well because I think some really important points there. That yeah. you Vicky, thank you. Um, Debbie, we're coming towards the end of the pod. Anything that we've missed that we should have covered in this specific pod? Anything you wanted to add um, before we finalise our discussion or close our discussion? Just a little thing, and Vicky started to touch on it. Whenever you say the word service, people ask me about microservices. I was reading a book recently about service-oriented architecture, and it was all about technical services and technology-enabled services. It's the wrong way to look at it. I talk about microservices and macroservices, but they have to service each other. And I think when we're looking at architecture, we need to understand service architecture that starts at business services, which yes, is completely in line with what Vicky just said. Brilliant. And then, Vicky, same question to you. Anything that you wanted to add to the discussion before we finish? I think I think what's the thing that I will say, and it comes back a little bit, is don't be told, as a business analyst or a business architect, that you've got the tools that you need in order to do a good job. Don't be frightened of using them. Don't be frightened of getting them wrong, because you can't get them wrong. Because mm. in getting it wrong, or maybe drawing it the wrong way, you'll learn something. And and progress through to following, you know, I, I, I was a BA and I didn't think that I'd get to, you know, where I am and all the rest of it. But keep asking why, keep asking what for, keep asking how does this help our company grow? And once you start asking those difficult questions, people will start then to understand why they need business architecture. And we do need to keep banging the drum for the importance of it to keep this profession going because it is imperative. Brilliant. Thank you, Vicky. And thank you, Debbie. I want to say thank you to everyone that's watched and listened today. If you've got any suggestions for future BA Brew podcasts, please do email us on babrew at assistkd.com. And the other thing that I'd like to say is if you've found any value in our value offer, our value proposal of the BA Brew today, please do like and subscribe and share this with your colleagues. Thank you very much. So that's it, the end of season seven, uh, episode 70. We've really enjoyed putting this season together for you as always. I uh, just want to say a big thank you uh, internally to the Brew Crew, uh, to Tom, and obviously to our external guests who've just been wonderful. Um, and of course to you, our listeners. Um, wouldn't be worth it, obviously, if you weren't here to watch and listen um, the great content that we've got to put out. 
If you have any suggestions of future podcasts, please do contact us on babrew at sskd.com. Um, please do look out for our Christmas message in December. And also we'll be starting again uh, with season eight on January the 5th in 2024. Thank you.